Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Weird Biology Show podcast. I'm Sean. You have my axe. And I'm Dan, steward of vitamins. Dan, before we actually get into the topic, I wanted to run a listener question by you. Okay. If, if that's something you'd be down for. Sure, uh, let's do it. Becky asks, why are white rats the ones used in science? Do you know? Like, stereotypically, white rats are the go-to stereotype animal used in uh, biological experiments. You know, Sean, I don't know. It's not <laughs> something I ever really stop to think about, because I don't have a whole lot of background in actual animal experimentation. Yes, yeah, so uh, when she asked me, I, I was like, I have no idea. Um, I remember like when I used to be a vet tech, I always knew that they were like super inbred and I'm like, maybe it's because like they're so inbred to the point where they're so biologically similar that it's almost like having two of the same exact animal. And turns out that's actually part of it. But, uh, Windstar rats are the, uh, I'd say breed, but they, they don't really call them breed. They call them like model numbers or something ridiculous. That's not it, but something along those lines. Oh yes. The preferred model number of rat. <laughs> uh yes can i get a rat 317 a4 please um yeah so the there, there's like a hundred some odd species uh or or lineages of these rats that they use and they're all used for different types of experimentation it just so happens that pop culture caught on to the white ones i'm like yes albino rats will be the go-to but yeah there is a, there is literally a rat for every occasion so that was today's listener question if you'd like to send in a listener question, you can send it to weirdbioshow at gmail.com, and we will potentially answer that in a future episode. Now let's get into today's topic. We are going to be talking about The Hobbit. I know you're a huge fan, Dan. Oh, uh, yes. Most things. Well, pretty much all things Tolkien, <laughs> yes. I'm a huge fan. You've read all of Tolkien's books. You've read this Cimmerillion. Is that how it's pronounced? Cimmerillion, yeah. That's, uh, I mean, that's really more of just a... Uh... Fantasy history textbook, but yes. And did they they talk about like how much vitamin D every species in the books get? Because that's the topic today. Yeah, as, we're going to be talking. <laughs> as more of a linguist than anything else, I really don't think when he was writing those books that Tolkien was very concerned about his character's vitamin D deficiency. Well, that's our loss. Today's paper is going to be The Hobbit: An Unexpected Deficiency by Hopkins and Hopkins from the Medical Journal of Australia. So this isn't our uh, traditional paper, to say the least. No, this is quality it is, science. It's, it is top-tier science, in my opinion. This is S-tier science. This paper is kind of a joke paper, but written in a way that is, it's a real paper. It's published in a real journal, but it was published in a contest in a real journal. And it talks about whether or not the hobbits and well, not even the hobbits, specifically Bilbo, the dwarves, and uh, what humans helped him in The Hobbit, and how they triumphed over uh, the forces of evil. So this paper kind of starts out by determining a few factors of, of what goes into this battle of good versus evil. And their conclusion is that vitamin D may be the <laughs> contributing factor here. All, all the species in, in the book are, and a few that aren't, uh, are, are laid out in uh, whether or not they are good or evil, whether or not they were victorious in their endeavors, and lastly, their sun exposure. <laughs> so I don't know if I necessarily agree with all the criteria. Like one of one of the species they looked at was the eagles from, uh, was it Return of the King? The eagles were in what, what movie? 
think the Eagles were in. Well, it's been a long time since I've seen the movies. I think the Eagles made an appearance in both the second and third movies. Were they in The Hobbit? I believe so. You know, I never actually saw the second two Hobbit movies. This is the first one I was just like, yeah. this is kind of a disappointment. <laughs> it also kind of made everybody sick because of like the 60 or 80 frames a second it was filmed in. Yeah, they, um, made, a, they made a lot of really regrettable decisions making that movie <laughs> trilogy. So let's not talk about that too much. I'll get sad. <laughs> we'll stick with the books. So let's look at the paper real quick. Well, I think first we should, you know, just in case any of our listeners don't really know, maybe we should touch on what vitamin D actually is and does for the body. So, you know, there's some context as to yes, how they decided to make great a... Great point. Great point. Because I was just going to talk about, like, yes, these are good and evil people. <laughs> Continue, Dan. That's, I mean, obviously, as this paper would have you believe, vitamin D is a force of good in the body. Um, <laughs> but really... Uh, well, vitamin D is it's a fat-soluble hormone. So yes. how generally people get their vitamin D is that it's synthesized in the skin when people are exposed to ultraviolet light, which we get mostly through sunlight. That's why, you know, people call vitamin D the sunshine vitamin. Right. Um, right. You can also and get vitamin D through certain foods like, you know, fish, right. eggs, um, some cheese, beef, some mushrooms liver if you like to eat liver which i do not uh, uh back before i became a vegetarian i actually really liked liver i thought it was delicious i tried it once not for me <laughs> but so there's a lot of negatives that also come with vitamin d, d deficiency as well like i mean i think we're both vitamin d deficient we are inside people yeah thanks <laughs> um uh, for me it runs in my family but yeah you're right um <laughs> it, it does vitamin d deficiency does affect like things like calcium metabolism so yeah um, your skeletal muscular system uh your right. immune system there's there's so many things that vitamin d actually plays into uh and one of them is whether or not you're good and evil and whether or not you'll be victorious over sauron or if you're, I think, you know I the forces of evil whether or not you'll be victorious over those filthy <laughs> hobbits this is true. The filthy metal thieves. The authors looked at 11 species, although one of those species was, was Gollum, and you could argue that Gollum is actually a hobbit. I mean, I guess, technically, yeah. If we're, if we're going at this from the science perspective, yeah, Gollum would have been a hobbit, just a really, right, right. really deformed one. <laughs> so the, the authors take into context the exposure to the sun and the uh species diet to determine roughly what uh what their vitamin d levels are obviously we can't be doing blood tests on fictional beings but you know we can we can pretend uh, so i was trying to remember this but for all the lord of the rings nerds out there that might call me up on this technically Gollum was a store which was an early hobbit type but not quite a hobbit are there different species of hobbit there there were at least at least you know, <laughs> oh. once upon a time Interesting. I did not know that. So the stores, so, the stores were a race of hobbits. So yes. Okay. So specifically, uh, the authors picked out hobbits, dwarves, Bjorn. Is is that how it's pronounced? B e o r n. Bjorn. Bjorn. Yeah. What are they? So actually, when they mentioned um, Bjorn, he they were talking about a person, not a race. Oh, uh, is is he one of um? Is he a wizard? No, no, he's not a wizard. Yeah, he's one of the, they call him a skin changer. He's a dude that shapeshifted in a big bear. Oh, okay. I was thinking of Radagasker. You're thinking of Radagast the Brown. Yes, that one. <laughs> not yeah. the same. Got it. 
But yeah, no, Bjorn was a person. He was a, a skin changer, and he was chieftain of the Bjornans. Right. Got it. They also looked at men, humans, um, high elves, wood elves. They make a, a distinction there because there was a lifestyle difference uh, in the books between the high elves and the wood elves. They looked at evil eagles, Smaug the dragon, trolls, goblins, and golem. Uh, and then they assigned each of them three traits, uh, two of which are yes or no traits, whether or not they are good, whether or not they're victorious. Uh, and then they go on for their light level, which is their, their vitamin D score. Now they argued that hobbits actually had a really high light level. I kind of disagree with this because hobbits are, you know, semi subterranean. I I would argue. I mean, sort of, but Sean, you have to remember here that. Diet also plays a role in vitamin D deficiency, and of all the races, with all of the meals of the day, (laughs) including, you know, second breakfast. Levensies. What about Levensies? Luncheon, afternoon tea, dinner, supper. He knows about them, doesn't he? I wouldn't count on it. The hobbits were actually probably eating the most varied diet of any of the races. You so, are. I actually think the crazy. vitamin D score of four out of four could, you know, yep, be actually so, rather accurate. Yeah, they Plus, they ended up getting a now. Now the hobbits do go out of their houses. Obviously, like they they live underground, but they seem to work and have society above ground. Like I mean, also, if you remember in the movie, Bilbo's Hobbit exactly. Hole had an awful lot of windows for a hole in the ground. It did. It had at least two windows, if I remember the cover of the book correctly. Next, they went on with the dwarves, which they attributed having a very similar diet to hobbits. But obviously, the dwarves were predominantly subterranean. Except when you consider that all the dwarves we see in this movie are kind of outcasts from their society because Smaug kind of took over their city. So they're, they've, they've been living... What's the opposite of subterranean? Terranian? <laughs> Terranian? Uh, I... I guess. They've been living above ground. <laughs> uh, so they, they attribute that the dwarves would have a, a vitamin D score of three. I would argue that they would probably have a four. You know, I would I would say they would probably have exactly the same diet as as the hobbits. Or at least the dwarves in the movie would. See, I don't know, but this is also conjecture because, you know, we're trying to apply science this is true. fantasy. This but is true. if vitamin D deficiency can be genetic, you'd think of a race of subterranean a subterranean race should maybe be more genetically predisposed to vitamin D deficiency. That's a very good point, and I'm I'm actually going to bring something up on that a little bit later. I feel that next- as someone who is <laughs> vitamin D deficient from a genetic <laughs> level. Next, we have uh, Brion. Uh, he also gets a three, despite the fact that the the book states he specifically lives on like cream and honey. <laughs> uh, well, you know, balanced diet. Yeah, but he very, lives outside. Yeah, I mean, he he lives outside. Um, he eats cream, so he could be getting some vitamin D from that. Uh, I don't know if there's vitamin D in honey, but, you know, at least he's processing his vitamin D from the sun. I mean, vitamin, honey Next, is basically just sugar, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, coming in also with rank fours, we have uh, humans and high elves, uh, both with pretty well-balanced diets, uh, both living, you know, daytime lives uh next they had the wood elves now the wood elves come in at a at a, a rank two um and apparently and you, you correct me if i'm wrong the paper states 
that the wood elves actually like live in caves and like they're they seem like they're uh i mean the opposite of high elves they have a much smaller established society I don't, know that it's, I don't know that it's smaller. It's more that they're just... They live in the woodlands, in the deep right. in the woods, right? You're going to first get less sunlight. But did you see any of the Hobbit movies? Uh, I've seen both the Hobbit movies, but I actually I don't remember them at all. Yeah, one of the... I mean, so if you remember, if you saw the scene in The Hobbit, do you remember when they're showing Legolas with his father, Thranduil, who's, I guess, called just the Elven King in The Hobbit? Yes. How it was basically inside of a cave, and it's kind of, you know... It wasn't oh, you're right. dark, but it was definitely not exactly bright and sunny. Is Legolas a wood elf? Yeah, he's from the Mirkwood. Mirkwood Forest. Man, I, if you thought you were going to get hate, I am definitely going to get hate. Okay, so Legolas is a wood elf. Got it. So, yeah, they, they do kind of live in a, a very nice cave. Next, they have the eagles. The eagles live literally outside, and they only gave them a, a rating of... Three, I'm going to argue that an eagle would be at, at four. Uh, Like, they eat fish. They're outside 24-7. Period. That's it. That's all I need. Maybe the fish they eat aren't high in vitamin D, but I think of all the species present in this, they would most likely be the ones to have the highest vitamin D count. Well, I would, I would say the three could maybe be legitimate, only because vitamin D is only really found in, like, well, it's not only found, but it's particularly found in oily fish. And depending right. on what kind of fish they're eating, they may not be getting much to their diet. So what what they argue, though, is that the humans are also probably... The, the humans in The Hobbit, anyway, are a... They're a, a fishing society in, in this particular uh, village um, that lives right below Smaug's lair. So I would... I want to say that the eagles and the, the humans, aside from the humans eating, like, beef and uh, uh, cheese and whatnot... Well, that's that's the thing. That beef and cheese also has vitamin D, right? So if, if the eagles aren't... This is probably conjecture on the part of the... Oh, okay. <laughs> this is probably even more conjecture on the part of the authors. But if, if the eagles aren't eating the right kind of fish, the men, again, have a more balanced diet. So they're more likely yes. to be getting the appropriate nutrients. But aren't also these eagles magic and giant? I mean, they're, they're definitely giant. I mean, they carry They could people. be eating, actually, a pretty well-versed diet, then. They could be eating cows and shit. I mean, I don't know if they're eating cows. Do they even have cows <laughs> in Middle-earth? Don't they? I, I don't know. If, you know, believe it or not, I'm not Consult a... the Cimmerillion. <laughs> I'm, I'm not Dear a... Dear J.R.R. Tolkien, did you have cows in Middle-earth? Dear J.R.R. Tolkien, please come back from the grave to tell me whether there <laughs> were cows in Middle-earth. I would think there are, because there's... Well, I mean, there's cheeses, but there could be goat cheeses or camel cheeses. We just never see camels in <laughs> The Lord of the Rings. Could be horse cheese. You know, we don't know. Not like this. <laughs> uh, next up, they have Smaug. They say Smaug has a vitamin D score of zero. He pretty much lives in his lair 24-7. He only comes out at night to kind of prey on uh, the village, and he predominantly eats people, <laughs> is what they wrote. I, I, I can see their reasoning for giving him a zero. Next up, we have the trolls. If you remember the trolls from The Hobbit, they literally die in sunlight. So, you know, I'm going to say they don't process a lot of vitamin D via sun. Probably not. <laughs> uh, next, we have the goblins, which are strictly subterranean, although they they do come out to battle the five armies uh, later in the novel, don't they? Then, but then they lose because they're all their skeletal muscles are all messed up from their vitamin D. I mean, so. <laughs> they don't have vitamin D. They're, you know, poor nutrition. I, I don't know what goblins eat, but I imagine it's mostly trash. 
Um, <laughs> you know, maybe, hey, look, there might be some very high vitamin D infused creatures that they eat underground. It's a possibility. And lastly, we have Golem, who they give a uh, score of one. Excuse me. The last three have had zero. I should put that in mind. The, the goblins, the trolls, and Smaug all have a, a vitamin D score of zero. Golem gets a one. <laughs> They're like, well, you know, Golem mostly lives... In a really dark area, he does come out a little bit. He eats some fish, and that's it. That's how they justify giving him a one. Now, the other two things, which are, you know, a little bit less scientific and more of a yes or no question, is whether or not they are good. They say the hobbits are good. They say the dwarves are good. Brion is good. The men are good. The humans, I should say, are good. The high elves are good. The wood elves are good. The eagles are good. Are the eagles good? I mean, they did help out at one point. They helped out the good guys, so... I mean, they helped out the good guys, but that doesn't mean they're inherently good. They yeah, but this neutral. Is, yeah, but this is also a binary category, and we're not the weird morality <laughs> podcast. We're no, the weird we're biology <laughs> podcast, so we're just gonna... This is the true neutral podcast, starring the eagles. <laughs> then we have Smaug, who is not good. Again, I wouldn't say Smaug is inherently evil. Um, I think he's, I think mean, he's neutral. I think he kind of eats he's, people. He's chaotic neutral. He's, he kind of eats people. And all I can he might think be of, lawful evil. Okay. And now all uh, I can think of when I think of Smog is just Benedict Cumberbatch sitting, laying on a pile of gold. Please pronounce his name right. It's Benedict Snumbernatch. Uh, oh, oh. You seem familiar with my name, but I don't remember smelling your kind. Next, they have trolls, goblins, and Gollum. They all signed they're not good. Gollum, I would again argue, is neutral. Well, he almost tackled Frodo into like a volcano. Yes, so I'm not... but he wasn't himself. I'm gonna say I'm not gonna say he's good or neutral. <laughs> I'm not. He's look, I'm not saying he's a, good. He I'm not saying he's good. Dick. He's selfish. Is selfish an inherently evil trait? I don't think so. The elves didn't want to help out. No, but the elves aren't were, weren't also being you know basically mind controlled by the greatest evil <laughs> in the world. That's true. So That's true. sorry, Gollum, you get no pass here. Sorry, Schmeagol. So from here, they've determined whether or not they are victorious, and obviously, all the ones that were assigned good were also assigned victorious because they won. I mean, good guy always wins in these types of stories. All the losers, you know, sorry guys, you're evil, I guess. And he didn't get a lot of sunlight. They they all ranked zero to one. Um, they took the standard, D, or sorry, they took the mean, the average of uh, the vitamin D scores, and they got uh, an average of 3.4 score of vitamin D. I think that's a little, you know, on the... Well, it's the average of 3.4 for the for the good guys, for the victorious. Right, because the, the standard deviation of yeah. <laughs> the bad guys was 0. 0.2. <laughs> uh, standard deviation on the good guys was 0. 0.5. Standard deviation on the bad guys was 0. 0.4. Uh, and when they compared them, they found that they did have significant difference between them. Believe it or not, guys, the p-value here is pretty good. And by pretty good, I mean you you can't compete with the fact that everybody has vitamin D except for the bad guys. I mean, man, uh, I wish so, my p values were point zero zero one. <laughs> I was in grad school, right? I've I've never seen a point value uh, a p value so low. So their their conclusion here is that because of the better diet, because of the sun exposure, they have a high vitamin D score, and that is what led them to victory. Um, I I've got some qualms with this. So like we we said earlier, the dwarves are a subterranean race. They are probably predisposed to vitamin D deficiency. It's hard to say. But at the same time, 
they evolved to be subterranean. I I imagine the if the dwarves in Tolkien are anything like dwarves in saying D and D, which I would imagine so because D and D is based off of Tolkien. They can see in the dark. You know, they're hardy. They're small. Like. They are specifically evolved for that environment. Yeah, but if they're vitamin D deficient, you know. But why I may would they to... evolve to be vitamin D deficient? Why wouldn't they evolve to have a different form of vitamin D processing? I'm not sure, I may have your axe, but I'm not sure I wanted if you've got skeletal muscle weakness <laughs> from vitamin D deficiency. So, so my thought process is, are deep sea creatures vitamin D deficient? And the answer is probably no. I mean, probably, they probably just have a different method of. The thing you have to consider D. though is that where the deep sea fish, you know, have evolved to be deep sea fish and are probably not vitamin D deficient, or they don't need it. Mm-hmm. I feel like you can't really apply the same logic because the dwarves still do come come above ground. They live part of their lives above ground, right? Whereas, but they only really came above ground because they were forced above ground. Oh no, that it wasn't just those dwarves that spent time above ground. Dwarves in general did spend time above ground. It's not. It's a little bit of a tenuous comparison because you can't exactly take a deep sea fish out of the deep sea. <laughs> Otherwise, you can. you're going to have won't live. problems. Um, but where I will say this is kind of true. So there are also species of cave dwelling fish. Um, and there's, there's three species that I know off the top of my head. Two of them have evolved way, way, way long ago. Um, they get all of their vitamin D and process all of their vitamin D from their food strictly they don't see any sunlight they don't have eyes they don't have skin pigmentation etc but there is a younger species of teleost fish that actually does have vitamin d deficiency and because of that they they have a lot of spinal issues so their their spines grow kind of crooked so i would argue that the dwarves would probably be in a well i mean the dwarves are getting better food than goblins and they but are. goblins have very similar lifestyle to dwarves. Uh. I don't know that I would say that they have very similar lifestyle in terms of, like, diet. Because, remember, diet is still a very important part right, of Right, right, right. And, and you're right. But uh, subterranean-wise, they, they live a very similar lifestyle. They do come out, not on their choice necessarily, but they the, the goblins come out. They they have a cloud of bats that protects them from the sun. Maybe they get you sunburned. Mean a cloud of bats that actively sabotage them by making sure they stay vitamin D deficient. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. So, so I I would argue that goblins would have definitely evolved in a way to process vitamin D. You know, without UVB radiation. I I don't think they need sun exposure. If I'm being honest, I also think Schmaug would probably. Well, actually, if we compare Schmaug to uh, regular lizards i i don't know he's a is he a wyvern or a dragon is he a true dragon he's a dragon are, are dragons cold-blooded <laughs> See, like, i want to say it's like tolkien please respond i want to say so i want to say like, if they're like see, i want to say like as lizards probably but they also breathe fire so like how does one breathe fire and be cold well, i guess it's a chemical reaction i guess technically it's but then how does the fire breathing work tolkien we need more answers <laughs> Obviously, there's there's two chemical pouches, like the bombardier beetle, and when those chemicals mix and are exposed to oxygen, they burn. Problem solved. I, I'm going to go off on the assumption that he is warm-blooded because he is subterranean and nocturnal. That would make sense, right? Maybe. Because if you were to compare him to other lizards, you'd be like, well, actually, he probably should be out in the sun soaking up that you know UV because he's going to freeze to death. <laughs> he, can't temp- he can't regulate his body temperature. Maybe, but it's hard to say because, like, even in the one of the elven languages, this is super dark. But I mean, they were literally called heat snakes. 
So, you know, who knows? But that that could that could pr- uh, refer to the fact that they can breathe fire. Yeah, unfortunately, the Silmarillion didn't delve this deep into uh, <laughs> what was going on. We need more of the biology of these species. I know with, like, pet lizards and stuff, like, you often have to give them, like, calcium and vitamin D supplements because their foods don't always have them. Right, see, so lizards are vitamin deficient, so fire drinks are vitamin D deficient <laughs> But they're not too. necessarily vitamin D deficient. They get all their vitamin D from their food like a normal creature would, and then they process it using UVB radiation. Maybe. So another thing, another paper I found, I should name these papers. I should name these papers. <laughs> so going back to the uh, fish, the paper is Evolution in Caves Selection from Darkness Causes Spinal Deformities in Teleost Fish. And that is Torres... Dowdall et al. And the next one I want to talk about is vitamin D in the hemolymph of Goliath bird-eating spiders. <laughs> now, uh, what what is the uh, evil spider lady in uh, in in the Hobbit that Frodo and Sam fight? That's not in the Hobbit trend. That's in Lord of Sorry, the Rings. Sorry, that's Lord of the Rings. <laughs> what is the evil spider lady they fight in Lord of the Rings? That is uh, starts with an S. There's a chance that I mispronounced this. I don't remember how they actually pronounced it. But Shilob. Yes, Shilob. You know, she used to be a human though, right? Like she was, she was transformed by by Sauron. Despite the fact that she lives in Mordor or kind of on the precipice of Mordor, she probably has a fine uh, uh, vitamin D score, in my opinion. Even though she's evil, even though she lives in a pretty dark place. Because of the things she eats, <laughs> you know, she's eating dwarves and hobbits and uh, uh, men and uh, orcs. So I think she's got a well-balanced diet. And this paper kind of goes in the, to talk about, regardless of the diet that these spiders were given, they all kind of had a similar <laughs> vitamin D uh, presence in their it's, body. It's hard to and know because she she lives in a cave. So exactly. again, we might have the same the same problem with if she. How much time did she spend in the cave versus outside? But I digress. Well, I mean, look, if they're gonna give eagles a vitamin D score of three, I'm gonna give Shelob a, a vitamin D score of two or three too. I love two. <laughs> you know, I think I think the baddies need uh, need more need more points, even though you know she's from a different book. So th- this paper never actually gets to how the spiders uh process their vitamin d but they do know that it's probably not from the lights because these are uh spiders that were completely kept in like museum style conditions under heat lamps etc with a you know a a 12 hour day night cycle and the the lights didn't have uvb radiation so they're just kind of exposed to regular like heat lamps and fluorescent lights so they they had no reason to to process vitamin D defici- uh differently. So the chances are that spiders can just process vitamin D on their own. They don't need any extra help. It just all comes from their food and they're good to go. So I I think there is an argument to be made here that goblins maybe not trolls obviously would have to because trolls can't be exposed to light or they die. I, if if nothing more, those two species I think would have uh, adapted different methods of processing vitamin d which i think would close the gap here it's true uh, I'll, I'll give you that that in this extremely scientific analysis they did not <laughs> account for the fact that the forces of evil may have developed alternate pathways with which to produce vitamin d 
Exactly. And that's where I want to come at Hopkins and Hopkins. This is lazy science. You guys need to do better. <laughs> you can't just look at humanoids and skeletal muscle deformities and say, yes, this is it across the board. You got to break this down into categories. You have to realize that the the evolutionary lineage of some of these species would directly impact their uh, metabolization. I think that's fair to say. And that's all I have to say about this paper is I, I think they didn't go far enough. Uh, well, I mean, there could have been also <laughs> an issue of conflict of interest because the author did admit to liking Game of Thrones as well, which... <sighs> yeah. Do you, do you think the, the Starks had, like, really bad vitamin D deficiency? Uh, I think the Starks had really bad a lot of things, but... <laughs> <laughs> Dan, we're actually now going to change the podcast over to talking about the last season of Game of Thrones, why it's the best season, continue. It's not podcast oh. over. Oh, my apologies. I thought this was a different podcast. So why don't we get into the featured creature? Unless you have anything more to add. No, this was this honestly this was this was a fun paper. It made it was laugh. a fun paper. I, I did quite enjoy the attempts at applying real science to <laughs> anecdotal diet evidence. Yes, and this 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 is uh causation does not imply correlation, the study. <laughs> Except in in this case, they, they tried. They tried really hard to say yes. And if any of uh, any of our listeners who won it's a short read it's two pages i found Super it quite easy. entertaining it's fun go read it, it. it was it was written for like a christmas contest uh at the, the medical journal of australia Super easy to find. It's literally called uh, The Hobbit, An Unexpected Deficiency. Also, I know at least one friend who will fight me on this, but Game of Thrones sucks. Don't at me. <laughs> but yes, Sean, let's uh, let's hear what the featured creature is for this episode. Let's talk about everybody's favorite screamy boys. You know them. You love them. We're talking about cicadas because Brood 10 has just emerged. Yes, that's Brood 10, not Brood X. Is my pet peeve of everybody calling them brood eggs. It hurts me. It's a Roman numeral. <laughs> uh, so brood 10 is a group of cicadas that has uh, just emerged. Um, they are periodical cicadas. So they these ones in particular emerge every 17 years. But there are other uh, species of, and cycles actually, of periodic cicadas that emerge on different like timelines. So some of them are 13, some of them are 17, etc. So what exactly... What exactly is significant about the emergence of these cicadas? Because honestly, the only thing I know about cicadas is that, that anime noise. That noise that's in so many anime. You gotta love it. What is cool about cicadas? They're weird. Everybody thinks that they spend their entire lives sleeping underground. Like, it's kind of this misconception that cicadas live... <laughs> cicadas have the best life ever. They they sleep for 17 years, they wake up, they fuck, and that's it. They fuck and die. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds kind of awful, actually. I mean, I would love to sleep for 17 years. Imagine being well-rested. I'm a millennial. I don't know what that's like. <laughs> so, contrary to popular belief, yes. Um, the entire larval stage that is 17 years, uh, they are literally feeding off of just plant matter and roots and stuff underground. So, that's that's what it is. I feel like that's not much less lazy. Instead of sleeping, they're just eating for 17 years. Right, and then they get up and fuck after 17 years. Now, this year, you may have also heard that some of them got a jenny fungus. They got a little bit of a genital fungus going on. And to, to quote a headline from The Scientific American, How this zombie fungus turns cicadas into horror movie sex bots. Which should have been our... We should do a cicada episode, and that's the title. We're just going to steal it. As long it. as you promise not to ever utter the phrase Jenny Fungus again, Jenny <laughs> I will consider fungus. this. 
<laughs> so so what happens is the cicadas get infected with a fungus um that kind of hijacks the fact that they are in the sexual stage of their life they literally come up to mate and then lay eggs and die that is it but what the fungus does is it just kind of increases their hormone levels so they want to have sex more to the point where their genitals fall off and they're replaced with a like a fungus plug so that they spread it to more cicadas which you know keeps the cycle going so if if you ever like are out looking for your local cicadas your your brood 10 and you flip them over and you see this little white chalky substance uh, on on their abdomen area, that would be the fungus we're talking about. And I assume you should run away lest you become a horror <laughs> movie sex zombie. Uh, you know, I I don't think it infects humans, but I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with Dan here. Don't do what I'm about to tell you. There are a lot of people eating cicadas right now. It's a thing they like to do. There are several restaurants down in Virginia that have a cicada like menu. They're doing like tacos and stuff. Apparently, they're really good. If you want to eat your delicious little ground shrimp you tree screamers i'm not here to judge you that's your life live it <laughs> there's there's actually loads of like recipes and stuff you can look up to of like popcorn like cicada popcorn where they like deep fry cicadas um, and you know if that sounds delicious to you live your life enjoy your dirt shrimp <laughs> and that's been this episode's psa don't <laughs> eat zombie sex cicadas all right here comes the second psa there are researchers working on this fungus and they found recently that the fungus contains psilocybin which is the active ingredient in magic mushrooms uh that makes them so magic so people are like wait you're telling me i can eat cicadas and get high don't please please don't um and it's not because you're going to get infected with the the fungus that's that's not necessarily the problem it's more that there are also loads of like there's thousands of other toxic compounds in this fungus that could make you incredibly sick and i promise you it's not worth it because the amount of psilocybin that is in these fungus is so minuscule that you would have to eat hundreds to thousands of cicadas to get high off of it please don't try to get high off of cicadas and end up killing yourself because of toxins in the fungus no, this is an audio-only podcast, but I'm cringing in my chair right now. <laughs> so yes, um, cicadas are cool. Um, they scream and have sex and get a fungus that makes them have more sex, makes the genitals fall off. They're weird, they're gross, they're beautiful, they scream. They can get you high, but you should not get high off of them. This has been a PSA. Cue the more you know sound. <laughs> so I just wanted to thank you all for joining us. Um, before we go, I just want to give a quick shout out. So recently we started a, uh, it's kind of like the website coffee where you can donate to help support the podcast and you, you can donate any amount. It, it's, it's completely up to you. It's called buymeacoffee.com and you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash weird bio show. And if you'd like to support us, you can do so there. The podcast is not at risk of being canceled in any way, shape or form, but this just helps kind of alleviate the money that we kind of put into the podcast yearly to keep it running. Literally in the first day we have almost paid our web rent <laughs> our website is good to go for another year because of our so many generous donators so i i would just like to read through some names real quick thank you robert michael uh sun Quan, molly josh uh dr uh pagan thank you so much for the shout out you gave to us it makes 
all the difference in the world that you're helping support SciComm. Dr. Pagan also has his own podcast called the Bald Scientist Podcast. Very funny. He's uh, actually local to us. He, he works at Penn State, if I'm remembering correctly. And I reached out to him and he's like, yes, I would like to be on your podcast. So maybe we'll have Dr. Pagan on the podcast in the near future. Yeah. And again, don't feel pressured to donate. But if Absolutely you want to support us, it definitely makes us feel great that you know, people like what we want, what we're trying to do and makes us just even more excited than we already are to put more episodes out for you guys. So Absolutely. Any Absolutely. support is greatly appreciated. 100% agreed. Lastly, I'd like to thank you all for joining us once again. I hope you enjoyed this uh, less traditional episode. If Again, if you want to submit your own listener question you can just email us at weirdbioshow at gmail.com and i will look at your questions and i will ask dan them on the spot with no preparation (laughs) and if you do come across you know a paper that you think is weird entertaining that you'd like to hear us talk about on the podcast also feel free to send us an email with the paper absolutely Um, we'd really appreciate that because it's difficult finding these papers sometimes. So any any help we can get is greatly appreciated. Uh, as always, our theme song is by my younger brother, Jesse Ricca. You can find him on Instagram at Jesse Ricca, J-E-S-S-E-R-Y-K-A. You can listen to his music and support him there. So thank you all for joining us once again. I've been Sean. This is Dan. Join us next time and see more weird shit. Bye. That, that's when you said bye, Dan. Oh. Bye, everyone. (laughs) Bye.